Welcome to the Worship Place Podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. I want to read from the book of 2 Corinthians tonight, verses, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 11. It says, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him, for to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test. Whoa. It's enough to have the devil put us to the test, but now we got the preacher putting us to the test. Whether you are obedient in all things, now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if, I, for if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. This is uh, powerful and profound how that the enemy can actually leverage the mistakes of the guilty to impugn the innocent. I'll talk about that as we move along. I want to talk about demonic devices. Let's ask God's blessing. Precious Lord, we thank you for the power of your spirit. We pray that the hand of God would minister in this place in the lovely name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Uh, context is important in a text like this because we're dealing with uh, judgments and actions that sometimes m might make one to wonder what in the world is going on when the church puts people out. This is the story of the early church having to take disciplinary action over a, well, it was actually a case of incest going on. And um, it, it, let me say this about gross moral error. Gross moral error should be dealt with as quietly and as discreetly as possible unless it becomes public knowledge. In this case, we have, um, we have an indiscretion happening that was actually being bragged about. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, the, uh, the parties involved in the sin here we're actually informing others as to how, I don't know, how, how, what do you say? Man, we got so much grace going on. Wait a minute here, you know. The problem is they made it a public event, and so then public action had to happen. And in this case, Paul decided the best thing to do would be to put out uh, the individual that was proud of themselves until they could reach the place 
where they could find repentance and determine whether or not they wanted to be a part of the family of Christ or not. In this case, now, though, the time of reparation has come, the, the time to undo what's been done and to receive back into the fold someone who's guilty of gross error. But if you'll notice, it, Paul says that the devil is standing on the borderland of uh, discipline and forgiveness. And we need to be careful that we exercise the proper love and reinstatement lest Satan's devices actually, you know, get the best of us and he takes advantage of us. You say, you say well, what do I have to do with the mistakes another has made? More than you may want to realize. If you're going to be a part of the church, you have to be prepared to be on both sides of the coin. You have to be prepared to be on the side that takes action and says, no, this can't happen in the house of God. And then you have to be on the side to say, now that it has happened and now that proper repentance has occurred, welcome home. It is lopsided Christians that the devil loves to play havoc with. It's cakes that are half-turned. It's those that aren't fully developed. It's not difficult to be a critic of another person's character or another person's life or choices. You, you, don't, you don't even need a gift. That's not even one of the gifts of the Spirit. There is no gift of suspicion. Anybody can find something wrong with their peer. But the problem is the devil loves for us to discover the wrongs going on, but not have enough spiritual development and maturity in us to be able to pave the pathway that can lead the wrongdoer back to a place of, of reaffirmed love and acceptance into the family. So the devil does get in the details. He, he does love to ride uh, the, the, uh, the, the borderlands of judgment and mercy and forgiveness and restoration and Paul said, I have you do these things as a test for you. Here's the deal. We never, how many knows that the word of God is a two-edged sword? I've preached here a while back that the ministry of faith and miracles and signs and wonders is a two-edged sword. It goes both ways. God, uh, the, the, God has to do a work in the healers too. That's why sometimes you pray for people and nothing happens. Because you're on the operating table, right? And God wants to see how you process uh, setbacks or interference or whatever. Well, in this case here, Paul says, I'm having this, I'm, ask, I'm putting you to the test. For this end, as I wrote, that I might put you to the test. The test isn't always 
who do we need to throw out of the church this time? The test is, after we've had to take actions about the failures of somebody, what are we going to do once they're demonstrated a spirit of repentance? Can we bring them back? Can we treat them as if nothing had happened? Can we trust again? That's a test. Say, well, I don't need to. I'll tell you what. I don't need to trust again. Well, if you don't, you're ignorant of Satan's devices. And he has an advantage over the unforgiver. There are righteous unforgivers in the kingdom of God. There are people against whom's character you cannot lift a finger, but they also demonstrate a spirit of unforgiveness. Those individuals are not as secure as they may think that they are. Because if we want forgiveness, we must forgive. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You want to cut the devil off at the root? Forgive people every time, everywhere, in every circumstances, as often as necessary. And don't withhold forgiveness. So, I want to talk about, just a few minutes tonight, maybe to help enlighten us about satanic devices. One of them, of course, is non-unforgiveness. Okay? And I hope that that was made somewhat clear. Secondly, Satan has the power to imitate. He's the great imitator. In the story of the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, we have the uh, first three signs that Moses and Aaron wrought were imitated by the Egyptian um, shamans, right? Aaron threw down his staff and it became a snake. And then we get the shamanic snakes. The problem with the shamanic snakes is they look like a snake, but they were really kind of like gummies, I guess, because the other, because Aaron's snake just gobbled them up. You know the sour worms you like to eat? So the shamanic snakes were no match for the, the divine embodiment that came through May I say, not Moses' rod, but Aaron's rod. Sometimes we call it Moses' rod. It was Aaron's rod that uh, turned into the snake. And then in the second situation, we have the waters of the Nile becoming blood. Now, the, uh, the ten plagues are challenges to the ten major deities that the Egyptians worshipped, okay? I think you know that. We've covered that in times past. The Nile was worshipped, literally. It was the life source, of the people of Egypt. It was the reason for their existence. And so um, by turning the Nile into blood and killing the life that was in it, um, God was saying to Moses, to uh, uh, Pharaoh and to the Egyptian society, is uh, your God is no match for our God, okay? And I want to say that again. The gods of this world are no gods at all, but even if people 
authorize them as gods, they are no match. Praise God. Not even the Kansas City team that won the Super Bowl are no match. <laughs> that was a good one. Are no match for our God. Here just a few weeks ago, I read a story about a couple famous Hollywood personalities that actually bragged about the fact that they drank each other's blood. Have you noticed the degree of gore and Satanism that has become part of the Hollywood experience? Blood and Water. In a book entitled The Black Arts by Richard Cavendish, he details some of the history of what he calls blood magic. And I'm going to quote. And he says, a person's life experiences, characteristics, and qualities are contained in blood. Now, the Bible says something like that when it said life is in the blood, right? But the things that the demonic church says are really just inversions oftentimes of the things the Bible says. They're just sort of flipped in such a way as to divert the original intent and meaning. Uh, and we might go through a few of those later. But their life, and their, it's kind of like a record, kind of like a record of who they are. This is because through association, blood represents the life force of an individual. The blood represents the essence or the soul of who he is. And he goes on to cite, in ancient times, for example, a cure for epilepsy was for the epileptic uh, to gather at the uh, gladiatorial ga uh, games and matches, and when a gladiator was smitten down and dying, the blood was leaving their body, that they were to go and to fetch some of the gladiator's blood and to consume it. And by consuming the blood of a gladiator, they were uh, presumably taking on the strengths of the gladiator and then becoming strong enough to overcome their illnesses. Now, it is true that Jesus' blood is a life force, but it is a, not a physical life force. It is a spiritual life force. The Bible says they overcame the devil and the beast and all those things therein by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the word of their testimony. Hallelujah. So let me say this. The devil uses the blood. He uses blood just like God used the blood of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. How many has ever heard of young blood treatments? Young blood treatments is where they connect the blood supply of a young person to an old person that have the same blood type, and by sharing the youthful blood of a younger person, presumably it rolls back the clock of aging. I don't recommend you engage in that practice, by the way. Something about that just doesn't seem right. Okay? Uh, and then the, the, uh, the uh, 
the shamanic culture uses blood for what they call spellbinding. And I'm quoting again, using blood for binding. Another use for blood in magic is to use it with a binding spell. For instance, using a drop of blood in a candle uh, can bind your target by way of, of, of spirits uh, to the spell that the, um, that the shamanic person wants to place upon them. If you want to cast a spell of lust or desire, you use blood as a focus of your magical work. And by doing this, you are binding your curse to its target. Hallelujah. Notice that the demon world uses the blood of animals and the blood of people to bind curses to their target. But the church uses the blood of Jesus for loosing curses. Loosing curses of sin. Loosing human failure. Loosing the condemnation that comes with our own uh, disappointments and mistakes. Aren't, is anybody... Glad if you've lived for God any length of time, you better have become an expert at how and when to apply the blood of Jesus Christ. I think we need to apply the blood of Jesus right now to our lives and to our, and to our community, to our own families right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, we speak by the power and the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ. Boy, the Holy Ghost just... It's just quickened me, and it says I'm prepared to say this. Listen, in the Old Testament, every day blood of sacrifices would flow at the altar. In the life of the modern Holy Ghost-filled Christian, how many days go by when the blood of Jesus fails to be invoked? It is no tribute to our greatness to say, I don't need the blood today. Oh, yes, you do. And yes, I do. What do you say? We start the day or end the day, amen, by saying, in the name of Jesus, blood of the slain lamb of God, cover me from every failure and mistake. Woo! You're going to be a king and a priest. You better understand the principle of using the blood, because if we don't use the blood of Jesus against the enemy, the enemy could, in fact, through our own ignorance, try to use the blood of, 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 of witches, demons, and, and whatnot against us. Praise God. Satan also has the power to imitate. Or, yes, he does. Well, he has the power to imitate. He also has the power to confiscate. Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. This is what you get by being among the best. You get identified, and you get a target placed on you by the enemy. And the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, there's nobody like him in all the earth. He's a just man. He eschews evil. He loves God. He makes sacrifices. And the devil says, oh, yeah, I've considered him, but you have a hedge around him. Sometimes the devil does say true things, and, and that was the true thing. He says, you know, you have a hedge around him and everything that he has. Let me say this to people who understand the principle of tithing and giving. When you give, you create a hedge not only around yourself, but around everything you have. 
And he said, you've blessed the work of his hands so that the flocks and herds spread throughout the land. Now, stretch forth your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well, take everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, you can't lay a finger. For some people, it's not enough to know that the devil can't take you. Just taking your stuff is enough to do you in. Here's the question I want to ask. What would you do if the devil took all your stuff? You know, he's a thief. And he wants to take our stuff. But more than just taking our material things, taking our cars, take the payment book too. Taking our houses and lands, that's not near as bad as when he takes your dream, steals your destiny, tries to compromise your future, tries to take your hope away from you. In the name of Jesus, we serve notice to the enemy. You are a thief, but we are going to stand our ground and defend the things that really matter in life, and that is our integrity, our character, our dream, our vision, the promise of God, hallelujah, in our life, our children, our children's children. So here recently, uh, there was an article, and the headline of the article was, Mother Confesses She Gave Up Her Child to the Cult of Transgenderism. Mother confesses that she gave up her child to the cult of transgenderism. Has anybody noticed what's going on in America today? Has anybody noticed that the heroes of society in the Western world are people that are subjecting themselves to brutal sexual mutilations? Does anybody shake their head like I do and say, how can we account for this kind of behavior? The Antichrist has been revealed, dear brothers and sisters. The spirit of the Antichrist is evident all around us. It is this spirit that's going to escort us into the last days. We're, we're there already. Where Christians are in the way of a society that wants to play God with people's identity. I know this is an uncomfortable topic, and I don't suppose we should be shouting about it, but somebody needs to say, wait a minute here. It's time to wake up to the heinousness, to the shadow that's overtaken us. The sun has stopped shining in this area of American society, and the only hope our country has is for a people to fall on their faces before God and supplicate and pray and intercede and then reach out to these broken people. Oh, they're broken, and they're going to want some hope, and when they want to change their mind about what's been done to them, the society that, that invited them to participate rejects them. Well, we'll take society's rejects. Just exactly how we're going to help them, we, we, the only way we can help them, through the power of the name of Jesus, through the power of mercy and forgiveness, through the power of the blood of the Lamb. Oh, my God, hallelujah. Yep, 
Revival is going to come one way or another. It can come on the front end or, or it can come on the back end of human tragedy. Either way, the church is here to rescue fallen, broken society. I believe, I really believe this, that the things that the enemy uses against the kingdom of God, God is going to use to bring revival back to our country. They may be the leading advocates and the fire evangelists of renewal in this country in a way that you and I could never preach it. How do we know that? It's very possible that when they come back from that, they're going to have a story to tell and a God to praise and a grace to declare. In the name of Jesus, Satan meant it for evil, but God can turn it for good. And there is no weapon formed against us that can prosper. And so a female bishop said this last week, the church needs to stop calling God a he. Does anyone understand this identity destruction that's happening here? This is, this is a demonically led uh, attempt to confuse and destroy identity on every level. Amen. One of Satan's is, devices is for you not to know who you are. It's for the church not to know who she is. It's for people not to know who God is. Hallelujah. But the people that do know, their God shall be strong. Hmm? It's been popular to know culture as a church. If you know culture and you can be cool and you can appeal to the popular society, then you can grow. But that is going to be a, that's a short-lived phenomenon. It's the people that know their God. I said, it's the people. Hey, I, there may be preachers that know what to do to get a crowd. I really confess I don't know what to do. But I do know what to do to get to know who God is, what God can do, where God can move, how God can help. And I think the secret of tomorrow's revival is the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Do you believe that? If you do, put your hands together. <laughs> Satan can attack what you have and confiscate what you have, but he cannot steal who you are unless you let him. Satan also has the power to entertain. Now the scripture says in the book of Hebrews, entertain, uh, be kind to strangers, for thereby you're entertaining angels unaware. Right? How many has ever thought you might have entertained an angel unaware? I think, I thought we did one time when we found some person under a bridge and we had some peanut butter and jelly and bread as new converts. That's all we lived on, basically. And so we made this fellow a sandwich, and he was so happy. We went away rejoicing. And that could have been an angel. Very possible. But with a certainty, in the Scripture, people have entertained angels and not know that they were angels. And um, maybe we have, maybe you have. I hope we all have, and it'll be revealed one day just how many times that's occurred. But if you can entertain a heavenly angel and not be aware, hear me now, 
is it possible to be entertaining an unholy angel and not be aware? Is there anything in God's revealed order that excludes that possibility? Well, according to Genesis 6, I don't think so. Because the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. They took upon them wives, every which they chose, that reproduced giants. Did they know the consequences of all that was going on? No, this was just some, some tall, dark stranger. I don't know, you know, whatever. How about 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 19? Time had come for Ahab to go. God only puts up with, you know, he'll put up with stuff a lot longer than you and I sometimes. But when it's time to go, it's time to go. And all the prophets were telling Ahab, you can go up and take the enemy because you're going to get the victory. One of his trusted men said, you know, it's a little bit curious to me that all the prophets are speaking with the same voice here. Is there a man of God? Well, we got Micah, but you know, he's unreliable. Why is that, Ahab? He never prophesies good things to me. Well, let's call him in and let's see what he thinks. So in 1 Kings 22 and verse 19, Micah continued and said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven, standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead? and going to his death there. The Lord said, I'll put a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. How many ever felt like the devil has lied to you? You should be so fortunate in knowing that he, it was him that was doing it. But there may have been times where he did it and we didn't know. There are a lot of people that will argue against gifts of the Spirit today and call themselves Christian. They don't know what they're saying. They think they're sincere. But they're being told something that's not of God. That's why the Bible says, try the spirits. To see whether they're of God or not. So you can be uh, a victim of a spirit of a spirit. You can entertain the voice of the enemy and not know it. How can I discover whether what is talking to me is the voice of God or not? One thing you got to do is you got to put it up against the word of the Lord. You've got to compare it with what the Bible says because the voice of the Spirit will not contradict the Spirit of the word of God. Then the enemy will, the devices is to attack the mind. Here's something said by Richard Dawkins. Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. Now for you and I, we find that very difficult pill to swallow. If I renounced my belief in God, I cannot see how I could integrate that idea throughout my being and have any kind of peace whatsoever. Personally, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't jibe with me on any level. 
that there is even the remote possibility that there's no God. To me, God is everywhere. Alastair Crowley, uh, in the words of Run Ryder, said he was an occultist, a ceremonial magician, a drug fiend, a sex addict, a mountaineer, a poet, a traitor to the British people. He drew crowds of followers and hordes of critics. He was branded as evil and egotistical, a raging genius and messiah of anti-Christianity. It's safe to say that few people in modern history generated as much controversy, shock, and scandal as Aleister Crowley, son of a fundamentalist Christian preacher who used to travel with his daddy on evangelistic campaigns. But when his dad died suddenly, and he was 12 or 11 or 12 years old, his coping mechanism was to reject everything Christian and biblical and God-oriented and to plunge himself into atheism, immorality, drugs, occultism of all of its deepest and, 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 and undescribably grotesque forms. Isn't that tragic that someone could fall from such a place to such a lowness, and to actually develop and earn the label of the most evil man on earth. Chances of that happening to any one of us are very rare, but the chances of us believing some kind of a little lie about God are, are extremely high. The enemy doesn't have to turn you into an atheist. He just has to turn you into a enough of a pragmatist to isolate areas of your life that you really believe are untouchable. God cannot help me there. And if he can get you to just cordon off parts of your life experience that God's not going to do anything for me here, I'm just stuck with this situation, then he's neutralized your I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm preaching from experience. I've lived to see the day where sometimes preachers are pastoring churches that they didn't believe would ever grow. That it was just a job. How do you get there? You start entertaining a, an evil voice. You may not be aware that it's the voice of the devil. It may call itself the voice of experience. It may say, I've tried this, and it didn't work, so nothing works. My God, in the name of Jesus. And so we accept chronic illnesses in our lives, right? Because we've prayed, and it didn't change anything. Well, why don't we pray again? If Elijah is the model of effectual, fervent prayer, once is not enough. Twice is not enough. Actually, seven is really an indicator of a mul Seven really denotes a constant, unending sequence, a determination to reach it no matter what it takes. Seven is a perfect number. Seven is a number of, of maturity. Seven is this. I'm going to pray and pray and pray and pray until my prayer reaches a state that is so tuned in and perfect in the presence of God, that it moves heaven. I hope that makes sense. The devil's device is to get us 
to compartmentalize. And so I read an article from a woman. I don't remember her name. I didn't. I wish I would have wrote it down. She was she went out on a date with a Satanist. And she said that this man, David, the Satanist, took her to a satanic ritual. And she observed, you know, processes that they went through. And he said this, treat everyone with respect. But if someone does wrong by you, destroy them. When I asked David about Satan's magic and spells, he indeed uh, told me that he has cast destructive spells before. He said he once, quote, threw a curse on a neighbor because that particular neighbor was making loud noises at night. Well, David was studying at the university. A month later, the neighbor committed suicide. Did David feel guilty? No. Most people would think, oh, man. I did something terrible, not David. David didn't think he did one thing wrong. We entertain an unholy spirit, and maybe without knowing it, if we never, we always, we're never part of the problem, and we never see the need for personal repentance. Hollywood has thrown down the gauntlet. Satanism is now a form of entertainment. Demonization probably is next. Public, people being filled with devils, being possessed and rejoicing in it. Who knows? Satan steals, steals he kills, he destroys. He wants to hijack. Here's another device. To hijack every God-given gift. He wants to hijack the power of reason. Some of the smartest people in the world don't believe in God. Is it because they're so smart they see through it? No. It's because the culture of academia fosters this whole mindset of you can't believe in God and be a true uh, a scientist or discoverer of truth is a cultural problem because the enemy wants to hijack the mind. The, the devil wants to hijack reproductive drives. Yeah, sex. Sex isn't bad. Sex was created. Did you know this, that sex was created by God? Well, what has happened? The enemy takes the things that God means for good and then he works them to destroy people's lives and to bring them pain and brokenness. Hello? It's the truth. How about the proclivity of the human spirit to form bonds with each other? I read an article in, in a very well health a magazine, and it said it was an article on what they called trauma bonding. And I'm going to close with this. Did you know that you were designed to form connections, meaningful relational connections? Did you know the church, the the 
The success of the church, the hope of the church, the future of the church, or the family is that meaningful relationship bonds are formed that last and they can't be broken. But there is an all-out assault on, on, how shall I say, healthy bonds being formed in the American family. Why? Because this devil knows you, if you really want to run herd over people, you got to break them away from the cherished bonds in their life that hold them. Trauma bonding is one of these things. It's the connection a person forms to an individual who causes them physical, emotional, or sexual harm in a relationship. These types of relationships usually develop subtly, and this bond creates a toxic and highly dangerous situation that gets worse and worse. And he said toxic relationships produce trauma bonds. A trauma bond is when the person that's being harmed idealizes the person or persons that are doing them harm. It's kind of like the Stockholm Syndrome, where four hostages were taken and they spent about eight days under the control of their hostage takers. And when the hostage takers were overcome and the hostages were released safely, they literally, some of them had developed a romantic attraction to the people that held them at the point of a gun. And they testified in court for the courts to go lenient on them. What is this? It's a trauma bond. In the name of Jesus, I want to say this. There is a bond of love that's established in the kingdom of God. A bond where people should be safe. And if anyone is still being controlled by pain that has been brought into your life by the actions of someone who shouldn't have brought you pain, I want you right, let's just lift, all of us lift our hands so we give someone a private moment to renounce that in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we renounce, we renounce, we renounce hurt, pain, trauma that has caused, my God, I want you to stand right now.